Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 193. I am Dr. Brett Weinstein. You are Dr. Heather Hying. I am still recovering from what was a very unpleasant case of COVID, which I am hoping to stave off the coughs that are dogging me even almost a couple of weeks out here. Um, I will just say, because obviously this is relevant uh, for people who've been following our trajectory, I did take hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin when I got sick with COVID. Um, it's I took been a them, long time since you've been on uh, ivermectin prophylactically. A long time. Yeah. It just was unsustainable because, I mean, in addition to it not being good for you to be on any drug permanently, um, they made it very hard to get. And so one had to judge your ability to respond to a case of COVID rather than prevent one. Um, <clears throat> so I wasn't on it prophylactically, but I did take it. Um, it did not... Uh, saved me from a very unpleasant case. I think it probably did radically shorten that case. It was literally two very bad days. And then what I have left over is I think just the damage. When you get sick with a virus, it invades cells. Those cells then get attacked and destroyed by your immune system. And so it leaves wounds. And then we call those wounds lesions. So anyway, I believe I just have lesions in my lungs that are taking time to heal and they're sensitive, but... <clears throat> and let me say that um, I mean, everyone knows themselves best, and uh, everyone will have some part of their body that will tend to get affected, right, with with illness. Like, oh, you know, your your brother gets this, you get this. And you you um, tend to have things go to your lungs, um, presumably uh, related to early damage um, that was <coughs> from asthma that was attributed to seasonal allergies and... Uh, and no doubt wheat, a much later in life discovery. And uh, it's unclear, you know, why, why those, those existed at all, um, given that uh, there is no reason to think uh, that our ancestors pre, say, Industrial Revolution were experiencing such, um, such absurd lifelong effects. Uh, right. Um, but, you know, when when you get sick, it's your lungs that get hit. And this is a disease that is particularly um, apt to go to your lungs. And so uh, I think you're dealing with um, these lingering after effects, possibly a secondary infection at this point as well. Yeah. Um, let me just say the uh, I, I do have seasonal allergies. I don't think they strongly contributed to my lung sensitivity, but I do have lung sensitivity that comes from literally decades of what was more or less a constant state of inflammation that I now know was the result of my consuming wheat, which is um, something I am exquisitely sensitive to. So anyway, that does put me in a situation where as long as I'm in good shape, things are fine, but it's very easy for me to be knocked into uh, a spiral where inflammation causes more inflammation. And it's hard to get out of. Indeed. <coughs> Okay, so today we are going to um, we're going to talk about the mainstream media a little bit, Whoa. and um, and about um, some safe and effective treatments that exist out there. Thank so, goodness they do. So we are told, and uh, and oh, let's see, medical gaslighting. That's another topic of conversation for today. Medical. Gaslighting. That's a very uh, brought to you by Pfizer. I kid you not. Very efficient description of a very powerful force in the universe. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, but we, so we are coming to you from Rumble, and we encourage you to come join us there and join the watch party on Locals. We'll also have a private Q and A on Locals tomorrow, and um, lots, lots. We've we've been doing some impromptu AMAs on Locals. Please join us there. 
Uh, we're going to drop everything else that we would like to encourage you to, to join us at until the end, with the exception of our three awesome sponsors. Our three sponsors this week are Mudwater, Paleo Valley, Hillsdale College, and uh, I am going to read those ads now without further ado. All right, our first sponsor this week is Mudwater, which makes truly delicious products. Mudwater makes a fantastic drink. It's spicy and delicious and chock full of adaptogenic mushrooms and Ayurvedic herbs. With one seventh the caffeine as a cup of coffee, you get energy without the anxiety, jitters, or crash of coffee. If you like the routine of making and drinking a cup of warmth in the morning but don't drink coffee or are trying to cut down, try Mudwater. If you're looking for a different way to kick off your day with a delicious, warming, enhancing way that isn't just a caffeine rush, try Mudwater. Each ingredient was added with intention. It has cacao and chai for just a hint of caffeine, lion's mane mushrooms to support focus, cordyceps to help support physical performance, shaga and reishi to support your immune system, cinnamon, which is a potent antioxidant, and more. Mudwater also makes a non-dairy creamer out of coconut milk and MCT, and a sweetener out of coconut palm sugar and lacuma, the fruit of an Andean tree used by the Inca, to add if you prefer those options. Zach has been drinking a lot of mudwater lately, in fact. Um, I'll... I'll, I'll Come to the kitchen and find him drinking it morning, noon, and night. They've got a, a nighttime, um, a nighttime product that doesn't include any caffeine, and you've been enjoying it quite a lot. He's got a drinking solution. He's got a drinking solution. <laughs> That's good. Um, you can mix a match. Add a bit of their coconut milk and MCT creamer with some honey from bees, or use Mudwater's Lacuma and coconut palm sugar sweetener and skip the bees entirely. Mudwater is also 100% USDA organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified. Mudwater's flavor is warm and spicy with a hint of chocolate plus masala chai, which includes ginger and cardamom, nutmeg, and cloves. It's also delicious, blended into a smoothie. Try it with banana and ice, milk, or milk-like substance if you insist, mint, a touch of honey, and cacao nibs. To get 15% off, go to mudwater.com slash darkhorsepod to support the show. Use code darkhorsepod. Dark Horse. Dark Horse, no. No, no, no. no. The One Horse Shea, the Dark Horse Pod for 15% off at Mudwater. That's M-U-D-W-T-R dot com. All right, try this. Drink Mudwater until the cacaos come home. Yeah, Mm -hmm. okay. Right? And then even after they do. Right, keep drinking it. But, you know, one step at a time is basically, that's the drinking solution. That's, okay, excellent. Our second sponsor this week is Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley makes a huge range of products from supplements like fish roe and organ complex, grass-fed bone broth protein, and superfood bars. Everything we've tried from them has been terrific, including their golden milk made with loads of turmeric, but we're going to talk again today about their beef sticks. The beef in these delicious snacks come from small, American-owned farms that practice rotational grazing. Paleo Valley's beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and finished, entirely organic, and naturally fermented. 100% grass-fed beef is more nutritious than grain-fed beef in many ways, including that it contains more calcium, magnesium, potassium, zinc, phosphorus, beta-carotene, and iron, and it's also utterly delicious. If you're thinking that Paleo Valley's beef sticks are like Slim Jims, you're wrong. For one thing, unlike Slim Jims, Paleo Valley beef sticks contain no mechanically separated chicken parts. For another, Paleo Valley's beef sticks are actually good for you. Ingredients hiding in most beef sticks and jerky include MSG, hormones, hydrogenated oils, and brominated vegetable oil, which, if you're wondering what that is, was first patented as a flame retardant, and now it's in a lot of food. Not if you buy Paleo Valley, though. Furthermore, unlike other meat snacks, Paleo Valley uses natural fermentation to preserve its beef sticks. This gives the beef sticks a long shelf life without the use of harmful acids and chemicals, and with the added benefit of contributing to a healthy gut. Paleo Valley beef sticks are also keto-friendly and make a great protein-rich snack to grab when you're on the go, like running out the door for a meeting or going on a bike ride. 
Paleo Valley does not cut corners. They source only the highest quality ingredients and are passionate not only about human health, but environmental restoration and animal welfare as well. And they're a family-owned company. Try Paleo Valley's beef sticks today. You will be so glad that you did. Head over to paleovalley.com slash darkhorse for 15% off of your first order. I'm trying to help. I just, <clears throat> you know how it is. Oh, you're good. Our final sponsor this week. At some point, I will have Brett begin to read ads again, and then, um, and then we can get back. And then to I'm going to whistle at you. The hilarity of dyslexia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our final sponsor this week is Hillsdale College. If you are a few years or decades out of school, thinking back and wondering what you learned, you're not alone. Maybe you wish you had taken more time to study topics that would be more meaningful to you, something lasting or profound. If so, you're not alone, and it's not too late. Since 1844, Hillsdale College has been providing an education that focuses on freedom and character because they believe that a virtuous citizen is the best defense for liberty. And now they've taken some of their core classes and made them available online for free for anyone who wants to learn. Time and technology have changed a lot of things, but they have not changed basic, fundamental truths about the world and our place in it. Hillsdale College's online courses range widely. There are several on the Constitution, on Congress, the Presidency, and the Supreme Court. There are great books courses, as well as courses focusing on the works of C.S. Lewis, Mark Twain, Shakespeare, and Jane Austen. There are history classes from ancient Christianity, to the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, to the Second World War. And even classes on math and logic, from Euclid to modern geometry, and one on the great principles of chemistry. Over three, mm, over three million people have taken a Hillsdale College online course. You could be next. There are 39 free courses to choose from. The self-paced, you can start whenever you want. In fact, you can start right now. Wait till after the podcast. It's everything you need, all in one place, with no long-term commitment. Learn when and where you want. Enroll now in Hillsdale's Not For Credit online courses program. It's free, it's fun, and it will change the way you understand our country, the world, and your place in it. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash darkhorse to enroll. There's no cost, and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash darkhorse to register. Once again, hillsdale.edu slash darkhorse. Get smarter. It's way cool. Pretty cool. No, it's way cool. Smarter. Come on. What doesn't it help with? I think pretty much everything. I don't know. Maybe not swimming. No, I bet you even swimming. <clears throat> I don't know why I came up with that. Yeah. I feel like it probably helps with everything. It does help with everything. Um, just... But, but you got to apply it carefully, right? So um, smarter doesn't mean constantly being in the conscious mind. Oh, totally. Right. No. Um, so uh, you need to, smarter means figuring out when to move stuff up or into the cultural layer to use um, the framework that we introduce in Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century and let things go. Yeah. Uh, let let you know let let your unconscious mind lead the way when you're doing something like, for instance, swimming. If you're a very good swimmer, or playing a sport, or, uh, or gosh, and especially physical activities that are somewhat complex in terms of uh, what you need to do. See, that's wisdom, which is pretty damn smart. Mm. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I feel like you're conflating some things, but okay. Okay. But productively, I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of what we do. Okay, so um, <laughs> sorry, I just feel that I just you know it's uh, it's the um, the triggering of the feelings that maybe you've married the wrong person that I I hate to. Uh, you feel like you've married the wrong person. No, no, I feel like I'm triggering those feelings in you. Lord, I have no <laughs> idea what's happening. Okay, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to protect you right. from doing a lot of talking, and I'd rather you just talk. No, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow you to help me. Let's just see how that goes. Okay. Um. 
this has been a very weird, well, era, right? Um, but it feels like things are ramping up. And at least in the U.S., this could easily be attributable to uh, the presidential election that's still, it's still, you know, 14 months away. But uh, no, 13 months away at this point, you know, still. Um, but it feels like the middle ground scramble, uh, which we have talked about uh, a lot, is is re-upping, reconfiguring uh, those who might have been chosen to be in, uh, you know, the anointed ones um, are shifting slightly and there are, are new people who are sort of ascending, while again, those who have insisted on saying, actually, just because you have the degree, just because you have the authority, the job, the credential, the platform, does not mean that you are right, because you're going to have to give us some insight into how it is that you came to the conclusions that you came to. Uh, and instead, we're seeing almost every place in the mainstream media is just doubling down on their absurdity. And I guess we wanted to pick three such platforms this week to talk about just a little bit. Can I introduce one thing there Please. that I think uh, people... It's very hard to understand what actually goes on in American politics, but here's a hint um, that will explain why even 14 months out from a presidential election, it feels like uh, somebody uh, put LSD in the water. Um, <clears throat> the way the American electoral system works, the useful choices have to be eliminated from the, battle, uh, from the ballot in the primary. That's how the, the trick is done. And so the idea that we're 14 months out is actually um, not an accurate representation because the game is being actively played because at the moment there are some real threats that are on the map still. And, and the primaries a, begin early in 2024. Right. And so whatever is being arranged is being arranged so that the tripping and the falling and the no longer being a viable candidate will be long since done at the point that the uh, general election really ramps up. Now, I will point out, um, whatever else you think of Trump, Trump proved that the general election is not completely fixed, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, by fixed, I don't necessarily mean ballot stuffing, but I mean whatever the level of control is that one needs to guarantee an outcome. In the, he got in, even though the power players in the Republican Party didn't want him in. He played them. Yeah. And um, I've said it many, many times. I mean it. Uh, I am not a fan of Trump. I don't believe that a guy with that temperament belongs in that office. But he did the country a huge favor in proving that that last step, at least when he accomplished this, was not fully locked up. Mm -hmm. And so that also makes the primaries much more interesting because <clears throat> if one can escape through the primaries in a viable position, it means that there is at least something to be discussed as to what will happen in the general election. So anyway, I am expecting things to go absolutely haywire over the next 14 months, and I'm not expecting it to be a slow ramp up because I know a large fraction of the game is much earlier than we tend to think. Yes. No, that's, <clears throat> that's absolutely right. And that fits very well with um, the cover of Harper's this month. You can show my screen here, Zach. Um, Harper's Magazine, one of what has been one of the great uh, magazines in, in the United States. Uh, Harper's, craving a choice, 
insurgency and its threat to the Democratic Party. And they have pictures of Marianne Williamson, Robert F. Kennedy, and Cornell West, as if they are the threat to the Democratic Party. And of course, they are no threat to the Democratic Party. The threat to the Democratic Party is the Democratic Party itself. The Democrats have um, have gone off the rails and uh, and are not making any sense at all. Can I add something? Sure. If that cover, go back to the cover, Zach. If that cover, instead of saying insurgency and its threat to the Democratic Party, said insurgency and its threat to the DNC, <laughs> then this would actually be an accurate cover because yeah. that's really the game. And this is another place where people need to be very careful to think through some subtle distinctions. Mm -hmm. The Democratic Party is a couple things. It's a power structure, largely, I don't even know that it's housed in the DNC, but the DNC is the, um, the visible piece of it. And then there are the rank and file. And those are two different things. And the problem, the reason that these folks are a threat to the DNC is that they actually do resonate with a large piece of the rank and file, which the DNC is trying to undo. And by yeah. using Harper's to portray them as a threat to the Democratic Party, it inverts reality and it uh, basically synonymizes the DNC's interests with that of the um, the rank and file, which is the opposite of the truth. The DNC is uh, a cabal that yeah. conspires to prevent the Democratic Party from serving the interests of the Democratic Party voters and the citizenry of the country. Yeah. Now, I, I sort of imagine a, uh, you know, avatar of the DNC coming to the voters uh, and saying, well, but, you know, you're a, you're a Democrat, aren't you? You have to vote for us. You're a Democrat, aren't you? Uh, to which all awake Democratic or formerly Democratic voters should say, well, it's not me who's changed. You're no longer a Democrat. You're no longer acting in the way um, that we were told the Democratic Party was acting. Now, to what extent has that been going on all along? When did things start to change? Uh, these are important questions, but uh, certainly at this point, Craving a choice, insurgency, and its threat to the DNC, as you say, is a more accurate description. So I just, um, I want to read, and I've, you know, I've just got the hard copy here because, you know, we still, we still subscribe to Harper's and the Atlantic and the New York Times. And in part, it's important to see what these, you know, bastions of what were once uh, journalism uh, still have to say. Uh, and in part, it's, I guess, um, nostalgia, honestly. Um here we go, from the cover story of this Craving a Choice, Insurgency and its Threat to the Democratic Party in the October 2023 edition of Harper's. The, establish the establishment response has been predictably unwelcoming. Williamson, who we all remember uh, ran uh, last time as well, was ubiquitously derided during the 2020 campaign as kooky and all but loopy, sneers that have followed her into her second run. She nurses bitter feelings of her treatment as an outsider intruding in a professional politician's playing field, especially during the 2020 Democratic debates. Every time I saw Amy Klobuchar, I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name. Is that how you pronounce her name? I think that's right. Okay. Every time I saw Amy Klobuchar, this is uh, Williamson talking, she would say to me, are you having fun? That was all she ever said, Williamson told me. Every time I saw Pete Buttigieg, is that how you pronounce his name? <laughs> okay. I only ever read these names. I never listen. Um, every time I, see, I saw Pete Buttigieg, he said, are you having fun yet? I didn't realize how much like high school the whole thing would be. 
Williamson says. Okay, so that's the that's something on Williamson here pointing out um, that she was treated as the weird kid who didn't really belong there, uh, like uh, but and the some of the rest of the contenders in 2020 anyway uh, acted like mean girls. Later in this article. Uh, this is with regard to Kennedy, but it is his vociferous denunciation of the pharmaceutical industry that has evoked the most fevered response among Democratic Party stalwarts. An onslaught repeat, an onslaught replete with characterizations of him as crazy and unhinged. Kennedy's platform is replete with disparate positions, such as pledges on the core progressive issue to support environmental protections, a deference to the Second Amendment, and a demand that the southern border be made impervious. So, just take for a moment the idea that these are disparate positions. These are disparate positions if you hold that the only non-disparate position is to abide by the platform set up over here by the Democrats or the platform set up over here by the Republicans, in which case, uh, sure, supporting environmental protections would seem to be the thing that the left, that the Democrats have claimed as their own, but there are plenty of people interested in protecting the environment on the right. They just aren't interested in doing it the same way as those on the left. Uh, deference to the Second Amendment, again, seems to be something established as what people on the right care about, but there are plenty of people on the left who understand that it is an important part of our Constitution. And the, a demand that the southern border be made impervious. I remember when everyone understood that if there are going to be nation states in the world, there are going to be borders. So that doesn't, yes, that has become polarizing. It has become political. But the idea that these are inherently disparate positions is ludicrous. Right. In fact, I don't know how much people are paying attention to what's going on the southern border, but it is so uh, paradoxical and it reveals the... Um, the farce that uh, our system of governance has become to have effectively an unchecked flood of people carrying who knows what across our southern border while we still pretend at other borders and even at the checkpoints on the southern border um, to be a nation in which we are very careful about who and what we allow <clears throat> in. So right. this is some kind of theater Yes. Have you have you flown in or, or come in overland or by boat uh, to the United States at any point in the last 10, anytime since 9-11, really, but even, even before that, we pretend to be extraordinarily careful. Yeah. And it just, <clears throat> there's no logical sense to be made of it because the chances that those who have um, ill intent towards us, the chances that they will notice that whatever it is that they wish to bring in or whoever it is that they wish to bring in could be uh, spirited across the southern border and then taken by bus to the interior <coughs> of the country, the chances that they will notice that is 100%. Yes. So um, what are we doing? And I would just finally say what I do not hear discussed at all in that context is what it says about Trump and his wall, right? I've heard people yeah. mention the wall and say, well, they were tunneling under it with sophisticated technology. I believe that's true. Maybe a wall is insufficient, but it certainly it, seems- it, It was ineffective is quite different from the hue and cry over it's racist and barbaric. Well, ineffective, you know, I would rather have a wall that somebody has figured out how to go under, where all I have to do is figure out where somebody's invested $100,000 or half a million dollars to go under the wall. That's going to be a lot easier to plug the leaks 
in that system than one where you literally have uh, no barrier. You have uh, people who are supposed to be enforcing the law at the border who are actually facilitating the flow. So anyway, I, there's a part of me that sees the stupidity over on the blue team mm -hmm. as having understood that Trump was the enemy. Any thought he had was the inverse of true. That's right. What is the opposite of a except, wall? Except for vaccines. <laughs> well, that's a whole different topic. But if the idea is, well, because Trump said wall, wall is obviously the inverse of the right answer. Therefore, the right answer is a funnel. Right. Like, well, how... That should be Biden's campaign slogan, build the funnel. Build the funnel. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it, it couldn't conceivably make less sense. And the idea that we are having some sort of a debate about, well, is there really an invasion going on on the southern border? And, you know, you know, Elon Musk has to go down there and wear a cowboy hat and investigate it himself in order. What now? Musk went to the border. Okay. Um, he went to the border and he talked to, um, to border patrol agents. To see for himself. Yeah. Okay. And because he's Elon Musk, he can. Whereas most, right. most of us would not be able to go in and be like, and Border Patrol, talk to me. No, he, he was able to do it because he was Elon. But, you know, um, we've had invites. We've had no availability. But it's not hard, apparently, to but, go observe this. Yeah, we, we also have greater access than most people. True. Right. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, something uh, totally bizarre that is a complete indictment yeah. of whatever it is that's allowed. I mean, you know, if it was incompetence in the executive branch that was allowing this to happen, that would in and of itself be an indicator that these people cannot be left in office if yeah. it was incompetence. And it obviously isn't. It's obviously orders. Yeah. So what the hell is that? What the hell is that? Okay, two more things from this, uh, this Atlantic cover, uh, sorry, Harper's cover story from October 2023, uh, in which they blame uh, the failure of the Democratic Party on Marianne Williamson, RFK Jr., and Cornel West. Nevertheless, the bulk of Kennedy's positions fit the mold of what used to pass for a liberal Democrat. Assailing corporate power, the military-industrial complex, foreign wars, and censorship. Positions implicitly abandoned by an administration that is committed to the Ukraine war and increased military spending. Sounds like the Harpers of yore, doesn't it? <clears throat> Why are liberals now in support of war, he lamented to the Wall Street Journal. Why are they suddenly in support of censorship? Why are liberals suddenly putting faith, ultimate faith, in pharmaceutical companies who have always been great villains in the liberal zeitgeist? Fantastic. Yes. But these questions are going to remain unanswered. So kudos, tiny bit, to uh, Harper's for putting that paragraph in here. Um, but isn't it time for all of the people who insist that they are Democrats now because they've always been Democrats to wake up to the fact that that word no longer means what it used to mean? And that uh, supporting what is currently leading the Democratic Party means supporting you know, almost entirely the opposite of what you thought you were supporting in times past. And it's not that this sort of thing hasn't happened before. Of course, political parties change dramatically, and presumably you most people don't know at the time that it is happening because it's useful for the parties to hold on to the, the voters that they had before. But really, a ceiling corporate power, the military-industrial complex, foreign wars, and censorship, that's what the Democratic Party supposedly stood for, and it stands for none of these things now. So the, <clears throat> the irony here is that this is very simply explained by an obvious hypothesis, which is capture. 
Yeah. That something has taken control of the Democratic Party. But, Brett, capture sounds like conspiracy. Sure does. Yeah. Um, and apparently... You don't think people were colluding, do you? Uh, it's hard to imagine that people could ever collude. I know. But I've never known if we can take that one leap yeah. and imagine that people may sometimes collude. Which is to say, talking about things that other people don't want them talking about? Is that basically what collusion is? Um, yes, yeah. to... Uh, okay. To agree to participate in an attempt to accomplish something while cloaking the fact that that is no. being attempted. How dare they? Um, yeah. if, if that is even such a thing. That I anyone... don't even know if it's possible in humans. Right. I mean, baboon <clears throat> maybe, but probably not humans. No. But anyway, I mean, look, okay, you got the Democratic Party. It is now um, taken up arms against every value that it held uh, when you and I were, were kids. Yeah. Right. All of those things are now enemy values. And what is fueling its continued power is effectively allegiance, nostalgia, allegiance to a color, the fact that people have been trained to I watch. Like blue. Right. Blue feels like a breath of fresh air. Red feels like the enemy. Voters who have that view, who look at the New York Times and think of it as a pretty good source of information. They look at the font. Mm. They look at the presentation, right? The Atlantic. I feel like I'm in good hands. Right. All of these things are positions that historically meant something. But if something were to be captured, and, you know, I'm getting sick. I need a, I need a better analogy than this because this one's getting old. But there is a dog. It has a nature. It's your family dog. It's lovely. It rolls over and gets its belly scratched. One day, it gets rabies. Everything that you think about your dog needs to go out the window. That's not your dog anymore. It's been commandeered by something that is deadly. And what we have is a party. It has not always been a good party. It was a party of racism and Jim Crow, right? Mm -hmm. But... It has also historically been a party of working people, a party that advocated for their interests, and that was a natural winner, yeah. right? How could it not be? <coughs> that party has now adopted positions that are absolutely hostile to the well-being of almost all American citizens. Capture is the obvious explanation for it, and the reason that that does not instantly cause people to recoil has to do with habit and nostalgia and uh, loyalty to um, something that existed in the past for which there is no evidence in the present. And it also, um, it's not an actionable conclusion. It leaves people feeling hopeless. And I, and I do feel like um, I am sensing a greater, ever greater sense, um, again, of hopelessness. You know, there have been... There have been moments and movements in the last three and a half years now in which there was hope. And, you know, I think I think the moment that seemed the highest to me was during the uh, truckers convoy in Canada in early 2022. This would have been um, <coughs> the desire to sweep it all under the rug and to pretend that the people who were who were being duplicitous, cruel, authoritarian, sometimes evil, uh, were not doing that. They were, they, maybe they were misled. Maybe it turns out they were wrong. Maybe not. Um, and they're certainly, you know, they're not going to 
they're not going to continue um, following the orders of some of those people now because now they can see. But um, these are the people we need to trust going forward because, um, because well, you know, they really know what's good for you and they care about you. I think there are a lot of people now, and I and I and I feel it too, who are just getting, who are losing hope again, who who are who are losing hope in the face of the just endless onslaught of banality, of and of lies, of you know lies cloaked as this is the God's honest truth. Like if you can say that like that, if you can just lie about the fact that you are lying. And then everything else that comes out of your mouth is a string of misdirection and actual lies. What do we do? Like, how, how, do, how, do we find, how do we find our way? And I know you have something to say to that, but let me just, one last thing from this article. At the very end, the claim that, <clears throat> the claim of what the existential crises confronting American society are is... And so this, this comes in the form of, hence in the 2024 general election, we won't confront the actual existential crisis that we need to be confronting, which are racism, chronic diseases, militarization, war, and the threat thereof. Now, I am not going to make the claim that racism, chronic diseases, militarization, war, and the threat thereof aren't real threats. But the idea that those are the existential threats to the republic at this point, to the American people, when what you see is people losing hope because their government has been captured and is incapable of doing right by them, the actual existential threats to us are not on this list. They're not here. Well, um, I would like to respond to all of that. Yeah. Uh, the existential threat is capture. Right. Period. The end. And the reason that capture is an existential threat is because what we have in the West is a self-correcting system. And that means that it doesn't almost matter where we are. If the system is intact and it is allowed to self-correct, we can avoid all of the other threats. It can't reduce the risk to zero, but we can reduce it as much as possible by <clears throat> you know, using the tools we have to engage in good governance. And the problem is when somebody has an interest in you not doing that and they capture the mechanisms that would allow you to do it, you are steering towards a goal you don't even know. And <clears throat> so it is capture. It is the DNC is not the only uh, agent of capture, but nonetheless, it is the threat to our well-being, and it is an existential threat. Um, but I wanted to return to your point about it's not actionable. Once you realize that the, the Democratic Party has been captured. Uh, it, it, do, it doesn't feel actionable to people. Right, yeah. which I think is A, dead wrong, and B, it, it does tie in with your point about hope. Now, I have said in other contexts that there is a social problem when trying to engage people who are interested in the problems that you face. And the issue is this. Let's say we just gather a group of people who are interested in threats to the environment. And listen, you conservatives, I did not say climate change. There are threats to the environment. There are very serious ones. You might gather people together. You might talk to them about those threats. But you have a problem because in having gathered people together around a topic of interest, you will have gathered a room full of people, <coughs> many of whom are motivated by fear fear that terrible things are happening and that we must confront them. The other part of that room is motivated by hope. 
the idea that there's something clear to do. Let's get going. Let's do the thing that makes things better. And the problem is, neither of these groups is wrong. They're just structured motivationally differently. But if you try to talk to that room, you try to talk to the people who are motivated by fear, you will disempower those who are motivated by hope. And if you talk to those who are motivated by hope, you will demotivate those who are motivated by fear. And if you try to talk to them as if they are one thing, you will muddle the message so it doesn't mean anything. And that's a problem. We just all have to recognize that these are, <coughs> these are cognitive structures that we have to confront in figuring out how to move forward. Now, if we level up from there, the important thing to recognize is the peril of this moment could hardly be greater. Really, everything is on the table, including a potentially uh, a nuclear exchange that we might bumble our way into as a result of corruption that has us fueling a nebulous conflict in Ukraine. So the peril here couldn't be greater, but the opportunity is similarly great. And this is effectively inherent to what we call uh, the adaptive landscape metaphor. In order to go from a low peak, a peak in which you've only attained a certain fraction of what's possible, to a higher peak, you have to go through an adaptive valley. And what that means is that there is, it is inherent that you will pass through a perilous, uh, frightening time in order to get to a better time. There's no guarantee, however, that if you confront it, you do get to the other side. So we have to now say, well, what is available to us? What is in front of us that actually results in the terrifying realities of the moment being substantially better two years from now, right? And there are things on the table that do that, but we have to be very careful, <coughs> apologies, um, not to allow those things to be squandered or derailed. And we must also know that because the core issue here is not confusion, but capture. That it is certain, it is 100% certain that those things that have the potential to make things better two years from now are going to be targeted intensely. The intent is going to make be to make them stumble or to eliminate them from the map in one way or another, to make them untouchable. Whatever has to be done in order to make sure that the things that could lead us to a better outcome do not manage to do that, that is going to occur, and we have to be ready for it in real time. So I think one of the ways um, that people can talk past one another, and that I think um, to some degree we are talking past one another right now, uh, because you said you think that my claim that people are feeling um, hopeless and that there's nothing that, 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 that the hopelessness doesn't feel actionable, that, the, that what they're experiencing doesn't feel actionable, you said that that's dead wrong. Um, and I mean, I don't, I, th I think it can't be dead wrong. I know that people are experiencing this. So, you know, my claim isn't, it's not actionable. My claim is people are feeling that it's not actionable. I agree um, with that. But, um, put aside that <clears throat> for the moment, when I hear, when I hear you talk the way you just were talking, I hear reason for hope, but I still see, I still hear very little ways, very, very few routes for individuals to do anything. And I think and we had, we had friends visiting, um, a couple weeks ago and, uh, with their new baby. And one of the things, a uh, you know, straight couple, 
Um, one of the things uh, that she said to me and his peasants, I'm not going to use their names here, um, was, you know, it was just three of us and the baby were taking a walk in one of the beautiful places here in the islands. Um, the baby wasn't walking. Um, and she says to me, you know, often when he and I disagree, um, it turns out that we're just talking past one another and that I have been thinking about individual level actions and he's been thinking about population level actions. Mm. And I think that there is uh, a, a gendered component to that. I think that um, that on average, uh, women are more likely to think to the like, what what can I do? What is best for you know my children? What is best for my family? Uh, and uh, men, on average, are more likely to be thinking at at the sort of larger societal level. And this is consistent with research that um, is is quite good that I wouldn't be able to pull up right at the moment. Um, that has been done on in general. Um, sort of when you're talking about, you know, the forest and the trees, gist versus detail, um, that across a lot of domains, uh, and this is uh, neuro research, um, women are on average um, better at details and men are on average better at gist. And this is, you know, again, a statistical argument and um, says nothing about what you yourself might be awesome at. Um, but consider when you are having disagreements, and this, you know, this is very insightful on the part of uh, this, this new mother, um, with this, you know, beautiful, you know, new family, um, thinking about the ways that, um, that the two adults, the husband and the wife sometimes struggle to understand what the hell the other one is going on about. Um, and I think it's, it's this different level of analysis. It's a different level of approach. And so when I hear you saying what you were just saying, I, I still have the sense of like, yes, but what can people do? Because, uh, you know, and, and I'm not, and I think that you are responding, but you're responding at the sort of like, we can do this thing. Um, but individuals are still feeling like helpless and hopeless because they don't know what they can do. Um, <clears throat> again, uh, I don't, I'm not disagreeing that that's how people feel. And I'm not saying that I don't understand why that seems to be the calculus. Um, on the other hand, the problem is that the answer of what people can do is a tremendous amount, but it is not of the style that they are used to thinking of as meaningful action, right? It is not, if you say, you know, we really just got to go get this shed built, you know, what's the first thing I get to do? Well, I'm going to go out there and level the site, okay? Yeah. Yeah. It's not that kind of action. Okay. Here, all of the stuff that we have talked about, about uh, the Ash experiment, the Milgram experiment, all of the things that we have learned about mass formation, um, they should feed <coughs> they should feed into a model and that model should tell you that actually there is going to be a major shift in our consciousness over the next 14 months and in fact there's going to be a battle over it that is already taking place you were reading from a weapon in that battle yes we will shift our minds. We will come to believe things that we did not believe. The struggle and is... And we will forget that we ever believed anything different, some of us. Right. And in yeah. fact, one of the things that you can do is you can look back on uh, commentary from even two years ago, right? Even our own commentary from two years ago is jarring mm -hmm. because it reveals what we did understand and what we didn't understand. So just realizing how quickly the mindset of the entire West is changing is... Um, both frightening and an indicator of how much power there is in doing a few simple things. You and I have talked about modeling your doubts, 
confessing them yes. to people who, whose position you don't know. Yeah. Why does that matter? Well, it matters, A, because you'll learn a ton about what people actually think that you will not learn from censusing what they publicly say. But two, it matters because in modeling the willingness to say, I am not on board with this conclusion, you enable others who are somewhere in that neighborhood debating where they fall out, what they believe and what they are willing to say. You are modeling that that is survivable and hopefully you're modeling that it's attractive. Right? I like the person who says, you know what, I heard them say that. And then I thought, that can't be true because. Survivable, attractive, and they're not the only one who has doubts. Right. That, that, I think, is a critical piece as well. And that doesn't, I don't think that piece of it, that piece of people's psychology looms at all for you. And I don't think it looms nearly as large for me as it does for most people. Um, but that for, for many people, we know that, that um we know that most people are not willing to be the first to disagree with what appears to be unanimity, with what appears to be consensus. And these are, of course, the, I mean, we don't, we didn't hear unanimous so much, but we heard over and over and over again, the drumbeat during COVID was consensus, consensus science, follow the science. This is what you do because this is what we know. We know this is it. It's universal. And with that drumbeat for you, especially if you understand that you're not expert particularly in whatever it is that you're being told you think oh boy i don't know you keep that to yourself almost everyone keeps that to themselves now i do think and this is a reason for hope is that uh the internet you know as, as much as there has been an assault on on us and 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 others uh in terms of trying to silence us and demonetize and shadow ban and all of the things that have been done Boy, are there a lot of people out here. There are a lot of people who are saying, yep, that did happen to me. And still, I didn't accept the shot. I didn't go along with it. I didn't put up a don't hurt me wall on my business. I didn't do the thing. And hey, I survived. I went through the looking glass. And I'm on the other side and I'm still standing. And once more, I have my health and my integrity intact. Like that's the thing. Right. And it has material implications. The willingness, you know, when the vaccine campaign started, the um, idea of opposing something called a vaccine was so anathema to such a large percentage of the population that it seemed impossible. But saying, actually, let us look at the science here, right? Does the science match what we are being told? Oh, no, it's not a match at all. It doesn't tell you what's true, but it does tell you, I have a minute, I have a, a license to slow down and think very, very carefully about what's being said, because I know that at face value, it's just wrong. And then the story becomes, yes, 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 we actually, we didn't tell you exactly <coughs> the whole truth because really the people are stupid. I mean, that's the message, right? The people are stupid. They can't handle the truth. They wouldn't understand the truth. So we had to put this gloss on it. We're like, well, you know what your gloss, your gloss went 180 degrees, what the data actually said to the degree that you were even willing to share your data with us. Right. So your gloss isn't a gloss at the point that it's a lie, a flat out opposite lie. Not only is it a lie, it is a lie that actually has a physical manifestation a hypodermic needle that carries a toxic mixture of substances that we now, I mean, it's incredible what turns out to have been in these things, never mind what was in them that we knew about that was horrifying enough. Mm -hmm. But what actually turned out to be in them was a disaster. Yeah. So the 
point is people who woke up early, the earlier you woke up, the less times that hypodermic needle penetrated your skin and injected that stuff into you. People are now, understandably, feeling frightened for how many doses they took and relieved at how many they didn't take. So the point is, it's not an abstraction, right? right? These are concrete things that have implications for your health, among other things. So when we are looking at a 14-month time horizon in which... Until the general election. Until the general election, that? in which, uh, look, I don't know, maybe... The degree of control has moved on in the last four years far more than I know for <coughs> the last seven years. But uh, I believe there's still a horse race here. And I believe that they will do everything in their power to prevent that horse race from happening. And what can you do amounts to think about the emergent fact of our collective understanding of what is taking place. We have proven that over the course of months to years, we can actually break a narrative designed to harm us and we can wake people up in large enough numbers that we can derail that thing, okay? Now the question is, this is going to be different, but it's gonna be the same style of interaction. Mm -hmm. You want to be early amongst the people who understand what's actually taking place, that understands which reflexes of yours are being used to steer you into self-harm so that you can stop them. Right? A reflex is not fate, it's a predisposition. And to, to recognize what is going to be stolen from us here and how to prevent it, you can play a very important role, the same role that you have played in breaking the narrative that was fed to us over public health and COVID. And that is not small, it is abstract, that's the problem. The problem is it is not level the site to build the, the shed. It is well, but the, but you but you gave an actionable answer, which is one that we have given before, which is share your doubts in whatever form it seems possible, however vaguely, however specifically it seems possible, with those you meet at the you know at the coffee drive-through when you're picking up your dry cleaning, uh, with uh, you know do people have paper boys anymore? I don't know, uh, but you know with with people. Maybe just strangers at first with whom you don't think that you will have iterated interactions, but then start with the people who with whom you might have iterated interactions and 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 go from there. I we don't have these experiences as much not living in a city anymore, but um, it was always remarkable how many people sort of lit up and became relieved at the point that it was possible. It became clear that they were allowed that they were being allowed by the person on the other side of the interaction to share their doubts. And once people start to realize that many, many, many people among us share doubts about the directions that things are going and the authorities proclaiming that things are under control and uh, you don't need to worry your pretty little heads about it, um, the, the more hope we will have and it will be justified. I think. Yeah, actually... <clears throat> I think I think this is right, and I would say to make it even more actionable, much of what matters takes place online. So I'm not saying don't do this stuff online, but it is well, but vitally it's, important. It's tough online because there's so much garbage now. There's so right. many things that you can interact with that clear, patently aren't human. Right. There's I'm not. Just, so all I'm saying is, if we abandon yeah. online because yeah. it's uh, a very dangerous landscape, we lose. So we can't do that. Right. 
But it does not mean that the key thing for you to do is not to establish trust offline with, it's not going to be a ton of people, but enough people that as things go increasingly crazy, you can look somebody in the eye and say, is this making sense to you? Here's why I don't think it's true. Mm-hmm. Right? If you can do that with people offline, you are, I won't say immune, but yeah. um, resistant to being steered. No, I think I think that's right. I actually had this experience a bit this week. It wasn't online. It was, you know, with a with a new acquaintance friend um, who I met in the street, and she said, "You know, I got this. I have this newsletter from this epidemiologist that I really like, and what she just sent. I'm just, I I think it makes sense, but can you could you look at it?" Uh, and I did, and it made no sense to me. And um, you know, I clicked through on a bunch of the links in the newsletter and none of them went to the sources that she claimed they went to. They went to CDC recommendations instead of actual science. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just another one of these things saying, no matter what, if you're feeling sick, you need to get your booster. Like that, that was the message. And, um, at first I thought, oh, I, f- I like, I don't know. I'm a little surprised that this, that this felt like something that I might respond to positively at all, but that doesn't, that doesn't matter. Let me figure out exactly why this this feels wrong to me and give as um, as precise a response as I can. And I did. And the response came back. Thank you so much. I'm it's so hard to know what to think for people who aren't. And I don't remember exactly what the examples were, but you know, epidemiologists, vaccinologists, virologists, public health people. And I thought, boy, but this is such a smart, accomplished person. And. Um, you, all of us, all of us need to be assessing as opposed to taking from on high someone with the, you know, the public health degree. Ah, I'm saying that you should do this. Okay, but why are you saying it? You speak like this. It's written in the language of in the style. It's written in the style of science. So not only do they have the degrees and the right words <clears throat> and the platforms that we are accustomed to thinking of as bringing us the 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 unvarnished truth about public health. Um, But increasingly, it's hiding really successfully behind all of the usual things that scientists do. And almost all of them turn out to be Potemkin papers. Like, and sometimes you can't tell, like most people aren't posting their data for you, for us to directly look at. But I mean, just, just the citations every, every single time now, and there's a bunch more of these that I was running into today. It's like, oh, that doesn't, I don't think that claim is right. And you go and look at the citation that they that they give to back up the claim, and it's just not there. There's no there there. So is no one else checking? Well, like I, I, at some level, I'm just I'm just shocked at the level to which, the, for instance, the safe and effective claim is just being regurgitated and regurgitated and regurgitated, and there's no new research that's saying it is. Presumably, there's no research saying it is because there can't be. And so these people are relying on claims from, I kid you not, um, we're going to get there maybe later today, um, from like February 2021. Ah, they're safe and effective. Are you kidding? Most people hadn't even been vaccinated at that point. How would you know? So uh, there's a very clear point, logically speaking, about how to address this. And I'm concerned about making this point because I know exactly how it will be misused. Um, So I want to forestall the misuse before I tell you what the point is. The misuse is going to involve the battle um, 
over the analysis of the quality of evidence <coughs> in different studies. Right. Okay. So uh, in a meta-analysis, looking at a study and saying this is low quality evidence versus this is high quality evidence does not mean what those words sound like they imply. Mm -hmm. um, these things have been studied. And in the case of well done studies, that is studies that were properly conducted, mm -hmm. low quality studies and high quality studies reach the same conclusion. It does mm -hmm. not change what they discover. Right. right. It may leave larger error bars, but it does not change the conclusion. So that is the place where we have to be very careful not to apply what I'm about to say. Public <coughs> is convinced in a bizarre way that quantity um, is a strong indicator of accuracy. In other words, the number of places that you read a particular conclusion is an indicator that that conclusion is likely to be right. Yep. And this is nonsense for a couple reasons. Um, most importantly, if you have a wrong conclusion that because your corporation sells us something or other, you need that wrong conclusion to be widely distributed amongst doctors, let's say, <coughs> you can produce evidence that will capture attention and spread and appear to be many people reaching a conclusion when in fact they've done no analysis whatsoever. A single study that is independent of that corrupting apparatus will likely reach the right conclusion. And so you may have a sea of people saying X, and the truth may be Y, and the truth may exist only in that paper, but what you absolutely need to do is figure out whether or not that sea of things is a bunch of people repeating conclusions that they've heard and have not established for themselves, um, whether there is a perverse incentive, etc. And... <coughs> So here's, here's the punchline of the, of the analysis. It is better to process less of what you encounter when you have no idea which stuff is polluted by perverse incentives. Processing very little data is not a fatal problem. In fact, it may be the only way to see clearly. If what you process is all valid, it was all properly done, but you fail to process most stuff that you can't assess whether it was properly done, you will reach a robust conclusion. It won't have what amounts to the statistical power of that huge sea of wrong things, but that statistical power is misleading. It's pulling you in the wrong direction. Right. The trick, of course, is figuring out what to read and what not to. Right. Like of that's... course. Of course. Which, and the problem is that is unsayable, Right. What people think, including most people with advanced degrees, what they think is that the job of a scientist is to look at the data. What does that mean? Look at the papers on that topic and process it and figure out, well, what explains it? No, I'm sorry. That does not work where you have corruption. The, the job is not to take the sum total of everything that has been published in a peer-reviewed journal on a topic and make it all make sense because right. corruption derails that. And honestly, I mean, it's... It's a strange conclusion that we've that we, you know, science, the science community has come to that is wrong because, you know, what is historically, I don't know how far back this goes, but um, I think if you were to ask a scientist publishing in the 1950s, what is the purpose of literature review? Uh, it is to give you a sense of what is currently believed on the topic and what has been done. And then when you come to write your paper if this is a topic on which you are doing original research, the literature review uh, 
appears is reflected in that paper in two places. Um, primarily, it's in the introduction by way of setting up what the issue is, what we think we know, what has been done already, and what the opportunity is for new research. And then the literature review can also come up in the discussion, but largely it comes up in the discussion by way of this new research either is coincident with or goes to falsify the uh, previous understanding about this topic. The literature review is not the conclusion. And so, you know, review papers are trying to do to do that, to say, okay, what is it that we, what is the state of the art, as it were? What is the state of the science? Uh, but the whole point is, what are you doing? What are you adding? And maybe what you're adding is actually a falsification of everything that came before. You know, that's not the common thing. That's not the most, that's not the most regular thing, but it certainly happens. And it may actually, you know, provide uh, a nuance that then allows other people to go, well, wait, maybe the truth is actually over there. And this is kind of close enough that this looks like the truth, but it's, but it's not there. None of, none of these reasons to do a literature review, which I have done plenty of, um, ever suggest that what you're doing is trying to figure out from that literature review, based on consensus, based on averages, what is true. The idea of, statistically speaking, most of the papers say this, therefore the truth must lie somewhere therein. No. Yeah. <clears throat> the problem is the rules, the formal rules of academia yeah. make it impossible to behave uh, as one logically should in an environment as polluted as this one. Yeah. So it, let's suppose that you have an author and you've done deep dives on a couple of their pieces of work and you've discovered what amounts to fraud. Right. Okay. Papers haven't been retracted. Now, my thought, let's take Bullware, for example. Who? Who's Bullware, who is one of the uh, primary uh, corruptors of the science around ivermectin. Okay. Um, if I see a paper on some topic with Bullware as an author, I'm not processing it. Mm. Can I say that? No. Wait, this person... Is you're not processing material produced by this person? Are you saying they're incapable of doing a proper study? No, I'm not saying anything of the kind. What I'm saying is I've twice seen evidence of this person doing something that constitutes an inversion of correct science. So I'm not processing their work because I don't know anything about whether there's any information in it or how I would figure that out, Yeah. right? What is the scientific language for? I um, the, Here is a literature review on this topic, excluding work uh, that involved bullware. There is no way to say that academically. So the point is it's no, game in over. Fact, the, 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 this is used um, often by those, by those who would have you ignore innovative work. And I'm 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 losing the names. I've I've lost the names of the people. But there are you know a few doctors, uh, early in the AIDS crisis, uh, who were saying you know actually, I think um, I think this virus is involved, but it may not be the only thing causal. And I think we need to be thinking about you know these these other possible causal factors. And uh, it became they became such pariahs that all you had to do was mention their names and it's like okay you don't need to pay any attention to that research so this is like as with all tools they can be used in order to help you um, do better in the world understand the world better and make it a better place and the inverse as well yep 
<laughs> the problem is power is power and rules are gameable and scientific rules are especially gameable because effectively science is done on the honor system. And um, anyway, we're kind of far afield from, from where we started, but the um, ability to process selectively, you have to do it in a way that is unbiased. If you're going to process only things that match your pre-existing belief, then you're just going to reinforce it. That's scientifically invalid. But if you're going to be very cautious and not process information that um, uh, you have no reason to suspect is accurate in a place where there's a lot of inaccurate information, then actually you protect. If you limit yourself to processing only those things which have you have reason to believe are reliable, you will get a lower power, higher quality conclusion from it. And it is really the only way to keep one's clarity. Oh, I, no, it's that is an approach that you take that other people I know take. I, that is not what I do. Um, but then I have an easier time processing high amounts of visual text. So I mean, I, th I think I think there are going to be different approaches valid for different um, kinds of processing styles and and techniques. And um, you know, knowing what is out there uh, also has value. Um, well, I think we are now talking past each other. If you've got pharma spending who knows how many million dollars to pollute a small quadrant of I don't literature, need to spend a lot of time with the pharma-funded studies. That's what I'm saying, though, yeah. is if you are trying to deal with a conclusion that involves topics in which pharma has taken an interest, yeah. how do you deal with the vast quantity of wrong... Uh, information right. no, that this has been is what, pumped into the literature. This is what the uh, conflicts of interest statements are supposed to be about in the papers. And we know we know very often that authors either don't even declare them or pretend that the very real conflicts that they have be, because they've been getting funding from exactly organizations that sort of stand to profit uh, if they come up with one answer and not another, um, just aren't conflicts at all. So, um, you know, it's at, at every level you have, it's, it, it's very, very difficult to know what you're looking at. It's so, the honor system in a system with no honor. Um, let's just, I think we're going to save a bunch of what we're going to do today, um, for, for next time, but I did want to talk a tiny bit about the Atlantic this month. And then you want to talk about the New York times, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, we talked about Harper's, the October, 2023 cover craving a choice insurgency and its threat to the democratic party. Uh, the Atlantic, you could show my screen briefly here, Zach, um, has in its October, 2023, uh, our, uh, uh, issue. <laughs> Um, a book review by Helen Lewis. From feminist to right-wing conspiracist, what Naomi Wolf's Odyssey can teach us about seeing patterns where they don't exist. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to, again, just read uh, a little bit from this truly remarkable article, which is, again, a, it's a book review of um, Naomi Klein, who was Naomi Klein's new book called Doppelganger, in which she apparently is, um, I have not read the book, I've read the book review, um, basically talking about how strange and it seems like how awful it is that people can't seem to tell her apart from Naomi Wolf, who we can all understand as readers of Harper's, must be a right-wing conspiracist, nut job. The Atlantic, I keep on getting it wrong, um, must be a right-wing conspiracy nut job, right? Well, no, um, but... Here we go. If the intelligentsia wouldn't lionize Wolf, then the Bannonite right would. She would. She could enter a world where mistakes don't matter, no one feels shame, and fact-checkers are derided as finger-wagging elitists. 
These people don't disappear just because we can no longer see them, Klein reminds any fellow leftists who might be enthusiastic about public humiliation as a weapon against the right. Denied access to the mainstream media, the ostracized will be welcomed on One America News Network and Newsmax on, or social media sites such as Rumble, Getter, Gab, Truth Social, and Elon Musk's new all-crazy, all-the-time reincarnation of Twitter as X. On podcasts, the entire heterodox space revels in just asking questions and then not caring about the peer-reviewed answers. By escaping to what Klein calls the mirror world, Wolf might have lost cultural capital, but she has not lost an audience. Klein notes that this world is particularly hospitable to those who can blend personal and social grievances into an appealing populist message. I am despised by the pointy heads just as you are. She ventures a kind of equation for leftists and liberals crossing over to the authoritarian right that goes something like this. Narcissism, grandiosity, plus social media addiction, plus midlife crisis, plus public shaming equals right-wing meltdown. She is inclined to downplay, quote, that bit of math, though, and feels uncomfortable putting Wolf on the couch. Nonetheless, I, this is Helen Lewis talking now, am struck by how narcissism, in the ubiquitous lay sense of the term, is key to understanding conspiracy theorist influencers and their followers. If you feel disrespected and overlooked in everyday life, then being flattered with the idea that you're a special person with secret knowledge must be appealing. This is amazing. Um, you wanted to interject or you want me to read the... <coughs> so a couple more uh, bits from this article, uh, which is decrying the so-called descent of Naomi Wolf into right-wing conspiracy land, which, no. A book by Naomi Klein called Doppelganger, A Trip into the Mirror World. To explore this ambitious agenda, the book ranges widely and sometimes tangentially. At one point, Klein finds herself listening to Hours of War Room, hosted by a man who has built a dark empire of profitable half-truths. Why does Klein find Bannon so compelling? Here, Doppelganger takes a startling turn. The answer is that, quite simply, game recognizes game. Klein's cohort on the left attacks big pharma profits, worries about surveillance capitalism, and sees Davos and the G7 as a cozy cabal exploiting the poor. It's the shades of that uh, Harper's article, right? It's like just a brief moment of illumination, of self-recognition. Well, no, no. It's not even that. What it is is a description of reality set up to be portrayed as an illusion. Understandably, she hears other Naomi, other, she hears other Naomi, talk with Bannon about vaccine manufacturers' profits, rail against big tech's power to control us, and make the case that Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum has untold secret power. And she can't help noting some underlying similarities. When Bannon criticizes MSNBC and CNN for running shows sponsored by Pfizer, telling his audience that this is evidence of rule by the wealthy for the wealthy against you, Klein writes, it strikes me that he sounds like Noam Chomsky or Chris Smalls, the Amazon labor union leader known for his Eat the Rich jacket, or for that matter, me. One last thing from this article. Klein successfully makes the case that the American left is more tethered to reality than the right, not because it is composed of smarter or better people, but because it has not lost touch with the mechanisms, such as scientific peer review and media pluralism, that acts as a check on our worst instincts. So this is, as the Harper's article, a just a mashup of, I think, glimmers of insight where even the people most certain that the thing hasn't changed and that they are still on the right side of history and that they always have and they always will be, no matter what 
they are being told about how much they have to betray what their values were just yesterday. But it can't see it. It's just like it's coming up against the hard surface over and over and over again. It can't see it. And Naomi Wolf, who we'll talk again a little bit about, I guess, next time, um, has made errors as we all have. Um, but she is not what is being portrayed here. And she is repeatedly standing up for the values that she has been standing up for her entire career. Um, <clears throat> I, I want people to focus on what you're calling glimmers of insight, because I really don't think that they are what you're okay. seeing them as. Okay. First of all, I don't know what Helen Lewis is, but this is not our first encounter with her. People who watched our course will remember that she came after me on a, an interview with Barry Weiss. And she, I wish we had it, but she effectively launched into some analysis in which she said, well, you can say to Brett Weinstein, and then she got mealy-mouthed and said a bunch of words that didn't quite fit together, as if what she had just done was laid out a very clear case against, I think it was the effectiveness of ivermectin. Mm -hmm. And then the next sentence was like, but he simply does not get it, right? Now, there was no content in it, but the point was, this was girl talk. This was two sophisticated women of the world having a discussion in which they say, look, you can say truth to Brett Weinstein, and he just simply cannot recognize it. So my point is, this is a tactical person. This is a person who is attempting to elevate certain people's uh, stars. And I wasn't suggesting that Helen Lewis was having glimmers of insight here. I was suggesting that Naomi Klein was having a glimmers of insight. That was a quote from Naomi Klein, or a, 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 maybe not a quote, but a, a paraphrase of what is in Klein's book, in which Klein is saying, huh, actually, this reminds me very much of, well, Noam Chomsky and, and me, frankly. So right. I, I, you know, I... I want, but, I, I want to still have hope for some of the people who have been standing up historically for the same things that now the people like us who are being reviled as right-wing conspiracy theorists are standing up for. So look, I, I agree and I hold out that hope, but not much. I, I will, you probably remember that um, Naomi Klein spoke at Evergreen mm -hmm. days before it melted down. I do. Um, and I went to it. <laughs> I do. Um, <clears throat> Such a weird world. Yeah, it's such a weird world. But, you know, as far as I know, she did not at any point uh, discuss the horrors of what had taken apart this campus that she uh, just been at. had just been at and had uh, apparently affinity for. She should have been horrified, and she was not, at least publicly horrified. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm concerned. The optics weren't good. I, I, I want yeah. to appreciate uh, Naomi Klein, but I'm on alert, and my senses that she is captured by something and this something is powerful and what i believe that she is doing and helen lewis is quoting is it is tactical and the tactic is look there's part of every liberal every democrat that's saying wait are we sure pharma's on our team because i keep being told to embrace what pharma's up to. Yes. Wait, are, are how, we, how long has that been going on for? Are we sure that we support this war? Because that doesn't remind me of us, right? They're doing this all the time, <laughs> they right? Have to, they have to be. Right, right. So the point is that's normal. Normal yeah. is like, hey, wait a minute. Five minutes ago, we were, we were the party that didn't like racism, and now we're being told it's the only solution to the problems we've got. Are we sure? Have we checked that, <laughs> right? So <laughs> that's... I every, did. 
every <laughs> Democrat that's still got their mind is going through that. Yeah. So what do you need? Yeah. Well, that is a very beautiful magazine, right? It has long been a lovely magazine, the kind of magazine that when it arrived at your house, you thought, that's great. I wonder what lovely things are going to be in there. For the next two weeks, I might be flipping through that thing and I might find wonderful things that you and I will quote to each other over breakfast. Who knows, right? That's what it was. <laughs> Before the rabies. The rabies? The rabies. <laughs> right. Um, breakfast before rabies. Breakfast before rabies. Yeah, exactly. But here's the point. Okay. Yeah. What are you going to do? You've got literally a hundred million people wondering what the fuck is going on that they're suddenly embracing all of the stuff that they used to dislike. How do you shut that up? That doesn't sound entirely wrong. Yeah. Right. It's probably so, the right order of magnitude anyway. Yeah. What yeah. do you do? Oh, well, you use the um, the thing that used to be the Atlantic to broadcast an internal conversation yeah. where it's like, isn't it crazy that I used to be anti-war? I used to think pharma was the problem, right? Yeah. But now the sophisticated blah, blah, blah is we're way moved on from that. Helen Lewis, Naomi Klein, they blah, blah, blah. So the point is, this is a mechanism for getting a tension that naturally cannot help but arise in the mind of a voter to resolve in a particular direction by basically stepping them through the process of forgetting. Well, and I think actually, that again, um, I, I think one piece of this that you're missing is the, see, other smart people think like you do. Other smart people are also questioning this, but they're still on the side of right. They've, they've, they've been staunch they aren't, they aren't leaving the party. They are not changing. They're still doing what the party tells them to do. They are still pro-war and pro-pharma and pro-corporate profits and, you know, anti the little people because that's what we Democrats stand for. It's like, wait, 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 what did you say? No, no, no. They're still on the right side of history. Just remember that and carry on. Wait, in fact, it, um, <clears throat> this is now coming together, I think. There is a process, Right an emergent process, exactly the one we were talking about in our discussion of where hope comes from, mm -hmm. that if you actually model your doubts for somebody that you can create trust and a willingness for them to confess their doubts, you can free yourself from whatever this control apparatus is. Well, the antidote to that is to turn that conversation, instead of something that you actually produce and participate in, into a consumer good. Mm. We're going to have that conversation in front of you. It's here in the Atlantic, right? You're having a debate in your mind. There's a part of you that's like, wait, I can't believe we're now the, the, the people who like pharma, right? And we're going to show you how somebody who you respect, somebody, you know, lovely who's been there all along, right? How she resolves that. So you don't have to worry about it, honey, right? Mm -hmm. <coughs> and it is, it is that. And I, I, I believe this, you know, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, I don't think we're ever going to get a complete analysis of how this happened. But I do think this is fifth generation warfare shit, where the problem is that all of the people who don't understand that they have been targeted, they have not been specifically targeted. But right. what has happened is they have been successfully modeled. And people who have become expert in nudging, yes. right? are doing it and they are doing it through everything that you would look to to figure out how to think more clearly. They're going to nudge the population off the cliff like so many bison. Right. But of course, you know, the Atlantic, you know, look, the Atlantic speaks to the exact tension that they pretend to resolve in that set of paragraphs. Right? Well, no, I mean, I don't think they pretend to resolve it, but I think what they do is they leave the reader with a sense of, well, 
Okay, the best among us. Naomi Klein has recognized that there's a slight conundrum, but she's still decided this. Therefore, I can put my fears That's to it. rest. It's the smarter people than me thing, yeah. which is one of those phrases that I know you and I both detest, yeah. right? It is one of these phrases that does a ton of heavy lifting and it's nonsense. Yeah. Um, the idea that smarter people than you, boy, you ought to go hang out with some of those smarter people because some <laughs> of them are, are dumb, dumb as, as can be. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> So yes, I I, it, I do think it's fifth generation warfare. I do think the Atlantic. Uh, can I ask a what are the? Do you know what the first four generations? <laughs> I just I just I've not generation heard fifth generation one is before. sticks and stones. I, okay. I don't know. I'm I'm I'm, I'm just borrowing curious. a phrase, and I should be more expert in knowing okay. exactly what those generations are. But, um, but anyway, I do believe that this is a highly sophisticated psychological nudge tactic in which you don't realize that be, just because they aren't thinking of you by name doesn't mean that you don't exist in their model and they haven't figured out what sources you pay attention to and how you read them and what you think about them and how they're going to use them to get you to arrive at the, a pseudo-smart conclusion that will cause you to do self-harm. Yep. Okay, so we've got um, Harpers going after Marianne Williamson, RFK Jr., and Cornell West. <coughs> the Atlantic going after Naomi Wolf. And uh, the New York Times went after you. Yeah, it sure did. Yeah. Um, yeah, it did in the form of a piece by Yasha Monk. Now, Yasha Monk is somebody that I, I've never met him in person as far as I know. Um, but I do know him a little bit. Um, I was involved in a, uh, a back-channel conversation with a lot of interesting people. Um, and so I would have said he and I were friendly. Okay. And <clears throat> so anyway, he's... Uh, uh, yeah, if you want. Why don't you... How to argue against identity politics without turning into a reactionary. Would you like to read the first few paragraphs? I really, really would. Um, in the spring of 2017, a senior administrator at Evergreen State College in Washington announced that she expected, excuse me, <clears throat> that she expected white students and faculty members to stay off campus for a day. The so-called day of absence, she explained, was intended to build community around identity. One professor publicly pushed back against this idea, as he wrote to the administrator on a college campus, one's right to speak or to be must never be based on skin color. He would, he announced, remain on campus. What followed was a bizarre gauntlet. Though the day of absence was officially voluntary, the professor's refusal to take part painted a target on his back. Protesters disrupted one of his classes, intimidating his students and accusing him of being a racist. The campus police, he said, encouraged him to keep away from his, for his own safety. Within a few months, he quit his job, reinventing himself as a public intellectual for the internet age. In his early media appearances, the professor, Brett Weinstein, described himself as a leftist. But over time, he drifted away from his political roots, embracing ever more outlandish conspiracy theories. Of late, he has insinuated that the September 11 attacks were an inside job and called for health officials who recommended that children be vaccinated against COVID to face prosecution modeled on the Nuremberg trials. Okay. So one more <clears throat> sentence. Mm -hmm. Mr. Weinstein, in short, has fallen into the reactionary trap. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. No. Yeah. So um, first of all, let me just say um, <clears throat> that uh, Yasha Monk is a lot of things. Apparently, uh, he's involved in the Council on Foreign Relations. He is a regular uh, at the Atlantic. Um, He's associated with uh, Johns Hopkins, which uh, we'll get to in a second. But show the thing you're pulling <clears throat> in there, or not? Yeah, okay. Let's let's show uh, Mike Benz' uh, tweet in which Mike Benz notices that uh, Yasha Monk has gone after me. 
Um, he says, classic example here of everything I talk about, a hit piece on Brett Weinstein for conspiracies, in quotes, etc., essentially arguing to censor him. Um, who's it by? Not some pink-haired, I can't remember. Ambigendered Ibram X. Kendi-ite. Council on Foreign Relations, Johns Hopkins, Atlantic Foreign Policy, blob. Blob, okay. <clears throat> so, um, Yasha is doing a job here. I find this despicable, and I will tell you that I find Yasha despicable, and the reason for that is what happened when I contacted him and asked him to correct the error in those paragraphs that he that you just read. Um, he expressed relief that I was being civil. He fully expected me to be very angry at him for what he did. And I asked him to correct this thing, and he came back and he said, I'm not going to correct it because I believe it is accurate. Um, <clears throat> and I said, it is not accurate, and I explained to him why. Are you going to explain to us why? I will. Okay. <laughs> um, and he ghosted me. So the, what I find duplicitous here is that what he is effectively saying is this was not personal. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, he expressed an interest that although we differ on a lot of things, in the future we might find alignment, right? After he has described me as effectively the type specimen of something he calls the reactionary trap, he falsely portrays me as no longer being um, a liberal, as I claim, mm -hmm. never explains why that is, blames it on conspiracy theories, and then he comes up with two examples. Now, the two examples, he says that I claim that 9-11 was an inside job, yep. which I did Insinuated not... Insinuated that the September 11 attacks were an inside job. Right. And the second thing is he says that I believe that there should be some sort of Nuremberg trial for people who uh, sought to inoculate children, healthy children, um, with uh, the COVID vaccines. Mm -hmm. Now, on the second count, I'm definitely there. I yeah. believe that these things cannot be justified for kids and that people who are in a position to know how dangerous that is and are still recommending them are actually involved in a, a crime against humanity. So we don't disagree on that. I certainly disagree that that makes me anything other than a liberal. Um, but in the case of the 9-11 attacks, he reveals something that I think is extremely important. And the link, the, right. the link that he gives is this tweet of yours. The evidence for your right. insinuation. The evidence, that yeah. So if you click right through here. on his link. I've got it, Zach. So why don't you put it up? Uh, this is you from September 11th, 2023. Uh, them, the conspiracy. You want to read it? You want me to read it? Okay. This is them speaking. The conspiracy theorists are wrong about 9-11. This is me speaking. Whoa. So then what do you believe? Them. The 9-11 commission. Me. How is that not a conspiracy theory? Them. Yeah, okay, but you know what I mean. Me. Actually, I, I doubt either of us do. Now, my point there is that the idea that conspiracy theory is a useful way to dismiss some explanation of 9-11 is preposterous since all of the explanations for 9-11 are conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. That does not say one way or the other what <clears throat> I think happened. Mm -hmm. So he then digs deeper. Um, do you want to show his other tweet? The breakdown of what you said. Uh, the the one that cites the podcast with yeah. Jeremy Riss and uh, yeah. you got to make it bigger. Yeah. Michael Shermer. Yeah, Michael Shermer and Jeremy Riss. Okay, Yasha Monk. Do you as, want to read this? Uh, okay. um, Why don't you do it? Yeah, go ahead. 
So this is Yasha Monk responding to me saying that I did not insinuate that 9-11 was an inside job. All right. Yasha says, is this you, Brett? Video highlights, video below highlights from transcript included here. Brett Weinstein, quote, I see patterns of anomalies that refuse to dissipate on inspection. Michael Shermer, to me, that the theory that this was an inside job by the Bush administration is a distraction from the real issue. Weinstein, but some of the anomalies aren't little things to got on earth because people are looking at every detail. Shermer, like what? Weinstein, well, it's a cliche at this point, but the way Building 7 falls doesn't make any sense to me. Shermer, yeah, it does. I think so. And you know who also knows? The insurance companies that had to pay the claims off. They investigated this. Uh, end of that string. Other things Weinstein says later in this conversation. Those cell phone calls have never made much sense to me. The making of phone calls in 2001 from a plane that uh, calls that did not frustratingly drop almost instantly does not add up. If And then Yasha again. If all of this isn't insinuating that people who believe 9-11 was an inside job may be right, I don't know what would be. Okay. So <clears throat> Yasha is involved in a trick, and I'm going to point out just how dangerous that trick is. And I don't know that Yasha knows that he's doing this. I think he's just carrying water, and I will explain the purpose of it in a second. But the point is... If you express surprise, doubt, concern over any detail of a story, then you are on the other team. There are two teams. One team is called Team Inside Job, and the other team is called Not a Conspiracy Theory. Okay? Now, not there a are two teams, only two teams. There shall ever only be two teams. Right. And so y'all just... Join a team, Brett. You, you've no, no, not that... join a team. Not join a team at all. His point you've is... You've indicated that you're not on our team, therefore you're on the other team. You're on the other team. I have a right to drag you over the claim that this is an inside job because you expressed doubt about the official version. Now, this does not add up. And in fact, if you'll put that tweet back up and show the tweet... Um, that you responded to him. That he was responding to me oh, over yeah. with that. Uh, one second. Okay, I say, yep. no, Yasha, you are logically incompetent. If I say I don't believe the magic bullet, there must have been a second gunman. Have I insinuated that the CIA killed Kennedy? Obviously not. To say the 9-11 Commission advanced, conspiracy, advanced a conspiracy theory is a simple statement of fact. Okay, so <clears throat> he is frustrated. He feels entitled to do this to me because I have expressed doubt about details of the 9-11 Commission's um, uh, explanation. Now, will you put up that uh, Isaac Asimov quote that I sent you? Uh, yes. Electricity. Electricity. This is a very important uh, Give me one quote. Second. No, no. Don't worry about it. This is a very important quote. It comes from Isaac Asimov, and uh, it is one that is near and dear to me. I've quoted it many times. The most exciting phrase to hear in science, the one that heralds new discoveries, is not Eureka, but that's funny. Now, what Asimov means here, he says it very cleverly, but what he means is that the way we make progress is we look at things that don't add up. It's always the things that don't add up that cause you to discover important things. Now, I would like you to compare this deep insight of Isaac Asimov's with uh, Yasha Monk's apparent position. 
His point is, as soon as you notice anything that doesn't add up, you're automatically on a team, and we are now entitled to hold you responsible for the worst excesses, the biggest errors, um, the most embarrassing episodes from that team. Yep. That is obviously not only logically incorrect, but would be devastating to our progress as a species. If we are not allowed, if, there are, if you're going to turn logical analysis into teams and you are going to force people onto the other team as soon as they say, hey, I'm not fully on board with X, right? You are ending scientific progress. <coughs> okay, so that's the analysis. Uh, and mind you, another friend of Yasha's jumped into the fray, actually went to the podcast in which I talked to um, Jeremy Riss and, and Michael Shermer and put together a little edit that supposedly catches me dead to rights. And in fact, they zoom in on my shaking my head just slightly <laughs> as Jeremy Riss uh, reveals that, uh, that Paul Bremer, um, uh, that Paul Bremer both um, didn't happen to be in the building um, when it this was one of the main towers when it went down, but then uh, went on television that evening, blamed Osama bin Laden, and then became the uh, uh, the occupation governor in Iraq. An interesting set of um, facts. Now, I don't take those facts to be meaningful in and of themselves. So are you saying that um, we are obligated to notice nothing out of step with the mainstream story? We are obligated to notice nothing at all, lest we be shunted into the other team. That is the, that is the new rule. And I will point out, notice this. This is the same rule that applied to vaccine safety and effect effectiveness. Oh, right. Anti-vaxxers. Right. right. The, way the down. point is, and notice also, and this was in that piece that you just read, the idea that just asking questions is now an embarrassment, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, we've caught you. You're using that excuse. You're just asking questions. Well, how exactly would you have us arrive at any useful conclusion without tripping over your trap over asking questions? Right, asking questions is what we do, even if the answer I mean, it's, is it's it's remarkable. I remember, I and mean, I, I think it was Sam Harris who started being like, he's just asking questions. Like we actually never say that. That's not that's not a phrase that we use ever. Right, because it doesn't um, need a defense. Exactly. Like how in what world are the people who are refusing to ask questions the heroes? Right. What world is that? And how if 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 one team has it so dead to rights, how did they get there without asking questions? And so quickly. Right. And so cleanly. Right. I'm so, looking so smart about it. I must it. say, I loved Jimmy Dore's bit. It's an adjacent bit, but Jimmy Dore <coughs> has a beautiful riff on uh, uh, doing your own research, which he points out used to be called reading. Um, <laughs> yes, that's right. So this is the same thing. What they want to do, and again, fifth generation warfare, they want to demonize the very things that might set you free which is doing enough of your own research, that is to say, reading, asking proper questions, noticing anomalies, mm -hmm. even if the answer is that the 9-11 Commission's report, which I will point out, Max Cleland quit the 9-11 Commission saying it was a cover-up. A member of the 9-11 Commission quit saying that the Bush administration was covering up. That's, you don't need any license to question the 9-11 Commission, but the fact that somebody who was on it reached that conclusion and stormed off is license then again. So the fact is they want to Why don't you just follow orders? 
Well, and wh- why don't I abide? I mean, it's remarkable, really. Like the, the piece is set up, the New York Times piece, <clears throat> the op-ed. Um, it's like, here's a guy who demonstrated that he won't actually follow immoral orders. And we didn't even make any orders here. It was just understood that if you're going to be a good Democrat, you've got to follow the orders, which is that we don't even have to say because it's so understood what they are. And you're now a bad person because you did not follow the implied stuff. It was really easy for a number of the pseudo heterodox types to get behind you and me and others like, oh yeah, that was obvious because it was so explicitly racist what they were doing at Evergreen. But really that, that, that uh, interest in heterodoxy was real shell. And the guy who is portraying me as the example of what you should not become, right? That guy is privately relieved that uh, I'm actually not that mad at him. And uh, there's hope for us, uh, you know, finding alignment in the future. The point is, this is, this is tactical again. And I want to point out what the use of the tactic is, why it's showing up here and now. Yeah, are you a dangerous reactionary or are you not? I am not. No, uh, I'm, I'm talking from inside the, the space of someone right. who would hope that he can still be friends. Right. Uh, to him, am I a dangerous reactionary or not is exactly the right question. And the answer is, of course, I'm not. Right. Right. I, but, I know this. I was not actually asking yes. you that question. Forgive me. <clears throat> okay. So why do this? Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. The New York Times Atlantic cabal. Harper's. I think Harper's is in trouble. I mean... Yeah, yeah, I yeah. certainly... Uh, look, <laughs> the Atlantic is at the epicenter of some new thing, right, that has interests in the world. It shapes positions. It controls minds. It's the very... It's the epicenter of the location that, that uh, Sam Harris is coming from. Now, it has a problem. Mm-hmm. Woke is a big loser, and we're still, we're right there at that uh, 14 months, 13, 13 mm-hmm. months left. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have to distance themselves from woke. Yeah. With regard to that, the general election is what, that, that will be oh, deciding in the general. It's going to yeah. be devastating. So there's a big pivot on, and yeah. here's the problem. And you named it at the beginning of this. It's middle ground, ground scramble stuff. Mm-hmm. Because what happens, what happens if now you admit that actually you know, in spite of all the ink that was spilled in the New York Times over wokeness, right, and the glory of it, you have to admit that that was wrong. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Who do you have to go talk to now? Not us. Yeah. No. It, it, this is exactly what you would have to do. So, okay, don't, don't panic, people. How are we going to deal with this? How are we not going to empower the people who tried to warn you not to do that woke shit because it was going to devastate Western civilization, which it is now doing? How are you going to pivot away without empowering those people? Mm -hmm. Well, you have to specially demonize them, Mm -hmm. right? It's called the reactionary trap. That's the reason. You don't have to talk to those people. They weren't really right, right? They sort of, you know, it's more Sam Harrisism, right? Right for the wrong reasons. Every clock will be correct a couple times a day. Right. Some bumbling professor, he kind of happened to get it right, and that was sort of cool. But then, wow, you know, you know how it is with those professors from state schools. They're not really the sharpest tools in the shed. So, uh, you know, they fall into something, the reactionary trap, yeah. right, where they think it's actually some sort of violation of the Nuremberg Code to inject children with mRNA vaccines. For a disease that they're not susceptible to. Yeah. And... 
You know what else they believe? 9-11 was an inside job. I can prove it. Here, he says the physics of Building 7 falling down wasn't uh, a match for what was seen. Okay. Thanks, Yasha. That's, uh, that's, that's good logic. I think you should really quickly clarify, because it's clear to me exactly what you're saying, but I don't think everyone will get <coughs> your difference between the terms inside job and, for example, cover-up, or I, I, or I don't know what happened, but okay. it doesn't yeah. seem like it yeah, that, That's fair. Um, my point is, there are lots of things about the story that we were presented by the 9-11 Commission that do not appear to add up. I do not know what that means, right? I certainly take Michael Shermer's, uh, what I believe is a good faith response to this, uh, much more seriously than Yasha Monk's uh, cynical one. But the fact is, I don't know why Building 7 falls down the way it does, but I do know that if the idea is that there was a fire that burned all day in Building 7, which apparently there was, and it somehow weakened the structure enough to bring it down. In fact, I said to Michael Shermer, let's just grant that there was something stored in there that uh, caused it to be fatally compromised by fire. It doesn't fall down straight like that. Something gives first. It leans over. It twists. Some part of it collapses. Some other part of it remains standing. Now, is it possible that there is an explanation which does simply connect office fires to that collapse? Maybe. I'm open to that. But what I'm not open to is pretending that the physics that we all learned in high school and college is a match for fire bringing down a building in that way. I don't know what I'm looking at. What I'm looking at is an anomaly that is worth exploring. So anyway... Um, I believe that's that's what I have to say. Um, I just want people to pay attention to the tactical nature of these attacks. The purpose is to make sure that we don't empower the people who, you know, do they really want to pay the price of talking about the uh, criminality of the vaccination campaign over mRNA because they now have to admit that they were wrong about wokeness? No. So they're going to find a way to pivot away from wokeness without empowering anybody who got it right um, because they don't want to empower people who believe things that they don't want to face. Yeah. And um, it's it's only going to get stupider from here. Um, like worse, more more creative tactics, I think, uh, will continue to come uh, our way, meaning like at all of us. And I guess I would just return briefly to our discussion about hope and uh, engaging with people, both strangers and not, uh, in ways that suggest, insinuate even, if you will, um, a lack of being fully on board with what you are being told you must believe or else you're not a good person. Uh, because really, almost whatever it is, um, you're not entirely, but almost whatever it is, uh, if you're being told you must believe X and yes, half the country believes Y, but you must believe X or else you're not a good person. Um, there's a very good chance that what is being done is an attempt to control you as opposed to an attempt uh, to have you be fully realized as a voting citizen of a republic. Um, <clears throat> and I would point out, actually, uh, quite some time ago, we did an episode in which we talked about the buzz saws that were erected so that somebody who stepped out of line could be shoved into them. I actually just went back to that uh, today and I was reminded that that was one of the episodes that YouTube um, cut, <clears throat> disappeared, and, uh, demon and demonetized us over and 
that was the end of our revenue from YouTube. I did not remember that. <coughs> but in any case, the argument was that there were certain traps where, you know, uh, if you deviated from an official protected narrative like vaccines are inherently safe and effective. So let me like I literally went back there today um, and I didn't realize it was the episode called Dodge, Dodging the Buzzsaw. It was episode 82. It's still available on Odyssey and presumably on Rumble. I think all of our back episodes are nope. Okay, so it's on Odyssey. It's not on YouTube. Uh, and what one of the things we talked about in there was the interchange that I had with our then 15-year-old son's pediatrician. And this was less than a week after the EUA had been granted to give the mRNA vaccines to, I think it was like 12 to 17-year-olds. I don't remember the younger um, bracket, but, uh, and we happen, I happened to be taking Toby, uh, then 15, in for uh, his uh, just annual physical to for camp. And this doctor really hardballed me in front of in front of Toby, um, basically telling me insinuating again, um, but no worse than that saying um, that I was a bad mother and uh, was putting him at risk. And uh, he needed and furthermore, that he needed to be allowed to make his own decisions when I said, No, he's not getting an mRNA vaccination, he doesn't need it. Uh, so I invited I invited this doctor to have a private conversation with our son. I said, I'm happy to leave. Uh, he rejected that uh, possibility. And uh, we certainly never went back there. Um, but I know that a lot of people have had uh, have had experiences like that with people in positions of power who say to them, if you don't do what I want, you are a bad person and I'm going to hurt you for it. And as much as possible, we all need to stand up to that. Um, <clears throat> that is uh, so, 100% true. Just a little background on what that episode was um, that got, um, well, I think, that got pulled. Uh, I think it's actually perfect because yeah. the point is the difference between having to make that case as a mother defending your son then versus now is all the difference in the world because what they keep doing is overplaying their hands on this these industrial strength tactics and so the fact is conspiracy theorist does not carry the sting that it once did because everybody has noticed oh my god there's a lot of collusion going on so you know, the question isn't, is that person a conspiracy theorist? The question is really, are they any good at it, right? <laughs> are they good at sorting the wheat from the chaff, mm -hmm. right? Um, likewise, anti-vaxxer. What does that even mean? Yeah. Right? They used to, the slightest hesitancy, and they would call you an anti-vaxxer. Well, if you don't have the slightest hesitancy at this point, you're just not paying attention. Yeah. Right? So <clears throat> they are burning these things. And that means that our ability to have a conversation in which you're not being shoved into the buzzsaw because the buzzsaw isn't even turned on anymore, right? Well, no, they're generating more and more terms because they're burning the old ones. Well, right. But the point is, okay, so it's now they're, 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 the reactionary trap is a new one. They are now uh, demonizing asking questions. They're demonizing doing your own research, right? These people are obviously out-of-control maniacs, and we can safely ignore it when they tell you that asking questions is probably a sign that you're not very smart, right? <laughs> really. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yeah. we can. All right. Uh, I think we're there. I think we'll talk about um, uh, more, more on safe and effective next time. More on safe and effective. <laughs> It was two words, but we're we're good. Actually, no, it's, it it suggests a, uh, a a a fork of the brand, right? You've got safe and effective, and you've got moron safe and effective, right? Is it actually safe and effective, or is it only cool. safe and Let's effective if then. you're a moron? Yeah. 
All right. Um, we will be back on Wednesday. We'll be back in, in not very long. And tomorrow we're going to do our private Q&A on Locals. So uh, seriously, join us there. That'll be at 11 a.m. Pacific, uh, two hours. Uh, we've got uh, the link to ask questions is up there as well. Um, check out Natural Selections, where I write uh, most weeks and post essays about all sorts of things. Uh, what else? Um, Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century is still out there doing well. It's, it's about to be published and checked. Did I mention that already? And we're going to go to Prague for the book launch. That's going to yeah. be fun. Yeah. Um, oh, let's see. Oh, uh, Discord. Uh, Discord server is um, up and running and, and, and great. And you also continue to have very good conversations at your Patreon. We have our sponsors this week. Once more, we're Mudwater. Paleo Valley and Hillsdale College, all of whom we encourage you to go check out if uh, any of those products are uh, up your alley, as it were. And uh, just a reminder that we are supported by you. And we really appreciate you watching, you uh, chatting in the in the watch party on locals, sharing, talking with people about what you're hearing, what you disagree with, what you agree with, all of that. And um, and just a, a reminder to please join us on rumble and and locals if you if you yeah can. it really helps yeah it does so until we see you next time be good to the ones you love eat good food and get outside be well everyone <laughs>